0: So diet. We'll talk a bit about their diet. As these guys are distributed throughout um, Southeast Asia as well as Australia, they eat anything from monkeys to crustaceans, fish, birds, kangaroos, dingoes, bats, sharks, dugongs. Obviously, people. Um, they will eat whatever they can get their mouths on, and it's it's all um, prey. It's all animals. They don't eat any vegetative material, obviously, aside from what may be inside of the animals that they eat. And I was reading today an incredible story, I think two or three years old, of a saltwater crocodile, so the same species that we have here in Australia, except this one was in northeast and southeast Asia, and it had been spotted hunting and killing a tiger, a tiger, like, it actually killed and consumed a Bengali tiger. So, these guys are just insane and just go to show you that they will eat whatever comes near them. So, as I mentioned a little bit, their hunting method is stealth and they, they wait and ambush They hunt animals by submerging themselves and quietly swimming over to prey before pouncing upwards and striking out suddenly to grab them. So, these guys will often sit with only the top of their head, their flat head, just above the water so that all they will have is their nostrils, their eyes, and their ears above the water with the rest of their body below the water, hidden, often in muddy waters, obviously, and that's when you'll see them only the head, only the tiny, tiny little bit above the water is visible. And that's why they're such good ambush predators. So, fortunately for humans who stay on the land and don't get in the water, these guys don't hunt on dry land. So, they won't come onto land and actively look for prey. And I think this is probably because it requires a lot of energy for these guys to move about on the land uh, as it is. So, let alone if they were to try and actually hunt something living down on the land, um, they're just not built to be able to cope with the energy and movement required in order to do that, I think. But I would imagine that if something died on the land near the water and these guys could smell it, see it, um, I'm almost 100% certain you would see them come up and grab parts of it or try and pull it back into the water and consume it. Something else that's incredible about these guys and their hunting, they sit and wait and can grab things out of trees. So, they can actually use that massive tail of theirs to launch themselves out of the water and grab onto things up to one, two, even three meters out of the water, I've read. So, young crocodiles Obviously not adults, because they get to such a massive body weight, but young ones can breach their entire body. They can breach their entire body into the air, out of the water, in a single upward motion while hunting prey that may be perched on low-hanging branches. So, monkeys, birds, um, even reptiles, I'm sure if they saw them and they could get them, they would jump out of the water and try and eat these guys. Um, Small prey, they tend to swallow whole, so they'll just bite the whole bird and swallow it in one piece, whereas larger animals, these guys are forced to drag the animal into deep water in the hopes of drowning or crushing the animal. So, you'll probably remember if you've seen documentaries where um, they're in the Nile in Africa and you'll see the Nile crocodiles hunting things like zebras And Wildebeest, you'll always see that they drag them back into the water and they don't necessarily kill them with their strength, they just pull them under the water with their gigantic weight and their insane bite pressure, and the animal drowns and then they consume it. And so, large prey. Are torn into manageable pieces using the death roll. And the death roll for crocodiles is when you see them come over to whatever it is that they've killed, they bite on, and they spin and twist their bodies really violently in order to pull off hunks of meat that they can swallow. Um, or they'll just use sudden left-to-right jerks of the head. So, if the animal's big enough that they can pick it up and swing it around in order to pull f- chunks of flesh off the animal, they'll do that. But... They have to bite off mouth-sized parts because they can't, they can't really chew. They just bite off a chunk and then they have to swallow the chunk that they've bitten off. And they also can't swallow or eat underwater. So, they have a flap at the back of their throat that prevents water from going down into their stomach and lungs when these guys are underwater and that's why they keep their mouth shut. But when they come up out of the water to the surface or just onto land that is when they'll grab things and then they'll consume them above the water surface so they can't eat them underwater. Um, food items are sometimes stored as well for later consumption once a crocodile is full. So, if it's a really big animal, they'll often take parts of it and hide them under logs or rocks underneath the water. And I think there are stories of people's bodies being found like that. It's it's pretty creepy stuff, but it makes sense if you're a a large predator that doesn't often get um, the chance to capture a lot of prey and you've got some left over, then you'd want to be able to sort of cache it like a squirrel would hide its nuts for winter and then come back later. I'd imagine, though, that crocodiles face um, competition with other crocodiles and other animals if they do that. So, they probably just eat as much as possible in that first sitting. So, these guys, as well as I mentioned before, have an incredible bite force. 5,000 pounds per square inch is the strength of their bite. So it's the strongest bite of any animal known today. To put that in context, it's half the bite force that's been estimated for Tyrannosaurus rex, that dinosaur um, with the really small arms and the massive skull and massive jaw. A crocodile today, a large adult crocodile, has a bite force that is approximately half the strength. Of what scientists have estimated T Rex's bite force was. And if you want to put that in context of, say, a great white shark, a great white shark has a bite force of approximately 400 pounds per square inch. A measly 400 pounds, isn't that incredible? So these guys have a bite force over 10 times the strength of an adult great white shark. That's just, that seems insane to me. Um, But despite having these really strong muscles to generate this incredible bite force when they close their mouths, they actually have really weak muscles they use to open their mouths. So, obviously, the muscles they need to open their mouths only have to be able to deal with the weight of the top jaw in order to lift it up. So, what's funny is that you can use a sturdy rubber band or even the bare hands of a human can hold their jaws shut. You'd often see that with, I think, Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. When he was capturing these crocodiles, a lot of the time you'd see him place both of his hands on the crocodile's snout. I mean, I'm sure not really large ones, and there's probably some kind of tie they'd be putting around the mouth pretty quickly as soon as he did that. But, yeah, you could hold a crocodile's jaw shut with your bare hands, though I wouldn't recommend trying it. Um, A little bit about communication. So these guys communicate in a number of different ways, including physical displays, as well as chemical and vocal signals. Um, They have no vocal cords, so they don't have any vocal cords in their throat like I'm using now in order to make sound to speak. But they make vocal noises by forcing air from their lungs through the back of their throat and nostrils. And you'll often hear them make a kind of really deep um, growl kind of sound. It's it's really disconcerting if you ever hear it because, yeah, no other animals really make a sound like that, at least not that I've heard. Um, Reproduction-wise, these guys mate in the wet season, which occurs approximately between November and March because in the northern part of Australia, they don't typically have seasons like in the southern part where we have autumn, spring, winter, and summer, In the northern part of Australia, it tends to just be wet and dry. So, they'll have six months where it rains a ridiculous amount and everything floods and there's water everywhere. And then they'll have another six months, which tends to be the end of autumn, winter, and the start of spring in the middle of the year where it's incredibly bone dry up in the northern parts of Australia. So, WA, the Northern Territory, and Queensland up in the north. So, these guys mate in the wet season when the water levels are at their highest, and in Australia, the males and females engage in courtship in the months of September and October, so leading up to the start of the wet season, and then the females lay eggs between November and March, and they tend to nest once a year on average, though some have been found to nest every second year, and then there's been others that have even nested multiple times in a single year as well, I was reading today. So, females are actually the ones that select a nesting site where they'll build a nest and then lay their eggs. However, both parents defend the nesting territory, typically a stretch of shore along tidal rivers. So, rivers where the tide comes in and then the tide goes out, so they're close to the ocean. And or freshwater areas, so where they would be further up the river away from the tidal areas affected by the ocean. And these um, particularly include swamps. So, they really require that water to be there in order to reproduce. So, that was part two, guys. Stay tuned for part three. And in the meantime, feel free to come over to our Facebook page and check out the other episodes of the Aussie English Podcast at www.facebook.com forward slash the Aussie English Podcast.